everybody you are listening to suds buds presents pints and pixar the podcast where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage i'm eric anderson and was i messed up my own name i am eric anderson (laughs) that is me and with me as always my co-host of the show i'm I'm just so excited man how's it going mr nate up Oh, look at he's excited to talk to me, not about the movie. No, I'm excited sense. to talk about Toy Story. No, 4. no, I mean I'm pretty sure it's about me. That's fine. I get that. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, man? Uh just ready for it. Uh that the end of uh, a saga here. End of an era. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, actually. It uh this is I mean, we started with the oldest toy or oldest Pixar movie. And ending with roughly the newest one. I mean, a couple years short. I think there's one or two after this one. I think Onward and Soul were after this. Yeah. So one of the newest Pixar movies. So the OG and one of the newest ones. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's honestly been weird seeing the difference in all of these like animation wise the difference in all these movies how less creepy every character looks movie to movie um it's kind of been uh it's been nice you know like you're not a little alarmed when you see them yeah yeah no i've enjoyed it man i i love toy story i mean it especially like those first three are movies i've seen so many times, even before we started doing this podcast, and now since we started doing this, it's just like revisiting them has been so much fun. But Toy Story 4 was a movie that basically was new to me. Like, I, I hadn't seen this one yet. Um, there were There's only a handful of Pixar movies that are new ones to me doing this podcast. I've seen, you know, I've mentioned it before, but I think I've seen like 90% of them. Um but yeah, so getting to watch this for like the first second, I think I watched it two or three times. Um, it's a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's it's darker. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, um, I I mean it's still you know chock full of fun, but it is definitely a darker movie than the other three. Um, three was pretty dark. Actually, I I think this one's about on par with that one. Um, yeah. For some like more serious overtones as far as Pixar movies are concerned. Sure. Um, but yeah, it it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. And I, I hate using that phrase this early on in this whole uh pick or Suds Buds presents, but this is one of my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, man. Well, uh, before we dive into it, I think it's worth mentioning if we sound a little uh, bogged down and heavy today, it's because we've uh, <laughs> we've been at it for a little while today. Um, it's it's been a good day. It's yeah, we've a good day. Gotten our fair amount of sunshine in and uh, had a few beers at. Uh, we went to parlor for a late lunch. Eric took me on the perfect day date, the perfect Tuesday day date. Oh, it shucks. was very romantic. Uh, we held hands basically the whole time. If Samantha's listening, she's going to be so jealous. <laughs> That's classic Samantha. Um, but yeah, got some good food at Parlor. Got uh, They had, uh, uh, I never know if it's Waldman or Waldman, uh, but had some Waldman Pilsner on tap there. Mm-hmm. And uh, then took a little trot on over to uh, um, Bad Weather Brewing and had a couple of delicious beers there. So. Hell yeah. And actually, I mean, I guess that kind of brings us to our next point. Uh, the beer we will be reviewing today, uh, is going to be, uh, due date. Yep. Due date. Due date number four. Due date Um, number four. As you know, we, we try to pair a beer with the movie that we're watching. Um, what we have found out during this whole process is that we have to, we have to pair pretty loosely. Um, I think basically the thing that got us to this one was that it is number four. Yep. That, <laughs> I think that's all we got. It was like, if we can find something like a Belgian quad or something with a four in it, that's, uh, we're good. Exactly. Like it, it, it's proving to be harder, um, than I thought it was going to be. Like, I mean, with how many beers there are out there, especially local brews, I was like, ah, oh, that shouldn't be too bad. No, it's, it's surprisingly difficult. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be like a weird, fun thing throughout this whole bit is that, <laughs> just trying to what beer you know pairs with bugs life i'm not sure yet but i will find one and if there if 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 there ever is a movie that has like a a a numeral in it Mm -hmm. uh yeah we are gonna lean on that crutch of course (laughs) what do you expect like incredibles 2 we're gonna drink a beer that's got a two in it because duh it is honestly like i said if if y'all got ideas, please send them our way. But I'm really struggling at this point. Yeah, that's uh, sudsbudspod at gmail.com. We're still waiting on those emails. Um, I mean, I... we get so many emails that it's just it's really hard to like sift through and and and. Yes. Help me out, Nate. the The amount of Tom Hanks dirt I have at this point. <laughs> wow, wow, you guys, you really came through there for me. Um. Tom Hanks is canceled. Like that's all I got. I got a I got a book coming out. Don't say that. Don't, let's not gaslight <laughs> I'm, Tom Hanks. I'm sorry, Tom Hanks. I didn't mean it. All right. Well, You're let's, a saint. What do you say we drink some beer? All right. Uh, so yeah, this is due date from uh, Bad Habit Brewing uh, out of St. Paul, bad Minnesota. Bad weather. Oh, my bad. There also is a bad habit in uh, Minnesota. Bad Habit Brewing. Shout out there in St. Joseph. But yes, but this, this is bad weather. Off of West Seventh Street in St. Paul, and uh, yeah, this is their barrel aged sour Belgian red with cherries and dates. And uh, it says here, this funky bundle of joy is the fourth installment of our due date series to celebrate co-founders Logan and Joe's first child. We looked for inspiration in beer made famous in West Flanders. Uh, brewed with dates, aged and er, brewed with dates and aged with Britannomyces in tawny port barrels, finished on cherries and mm-hmm. bottle conditioned. 
This beer has been babied from start to finish. Don't forget to cherish every moment with this beauty. Right. It's got a little cool constellation design on it. And uh, yeah, I like the artwork. It's simple, but it's really nice. Yeah. Um, actually, I was telling Eric, Eric earlier, um, if I remember right, it's actually, well, for a lot of their art, I don't know about their newer stuff, um, but a lot of their early art for like their flagships was produced by uh, Garth, the one of the co-founders of Arbiter Brewing, um, which I'm a big fan of. The Friends uh, in Low Places guy. Huh? The guy that wrote that song they play at the ball games? No, no, not that Garth. Oh. Uh, I mean... <laughs> be really if i got a garth brooks original to put on my beer can i'd be into it i mean you just casually first name drop a garth and expect me to think it's i have not brought brooks. garth up like several times probably like a weird amount of times but he's just a really nice guy so i don't know what to do um no garth one of the co-founders are brighter brewing okay neighbor. okay <laughs> you're making it sorry weird, not to clarify me. for our listeners again not friends in low places guy not that guy. Not even Thunder Rolls guy, which I think is the better Garth Brooks song, if I'm going to be honest. Or, um, I'm trying to think. He's got a couple other. Uh, Garth Brooks has got some. Th- through the Fire? Yep. It's a uh, no, not, no, not Through the Fire. Um, it is Stand Outside the Fire. Standing Outside Standing the Fire. Standing Outside there the Fire. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> that will be our exit song. Oh. Uh. <laughs> So stay tuned if you want to hear a little Garth Brooks. Yeah. Because hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, so I actually made Eric open the bottle this week um, because it is one of the twisty top with a cork. And uh, he always gives me shit on air about how much I struggle opening the bottle. Oh, shit. He got it. And I did it with ease. So that's (laughs) why I give you shit, you know. I wouldn't say ease. Uh, He was basically opening it since I started my Garth Brooks bit. So y'all can timestamp that. I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things. For every legend, there's a peasant. Well, okay. Well, you know. I'm, I didn't mean that. <laughs> Damn, Eric. If, if I ever said something that made you walk out of the studio, I'd feel so bad. I'm, you know, I'm getting close. <laughs> I'm standing right outside that fire, bud. <laughs> Got him. But, uh, yeah, so we got a little bad weather on today, um, and I suppose I can kind of dive into this, uh, the Toy Story 4 plot here. Before we do, uh, how about oh, I get you, you a little it. juice uh-huh. here? This, uh, I appreciate it. I will say this is a, this is a foamer. This guy is very highly carbonated, um, which I'm okay with, but especially pouring out of a 750 into mini glasses, it's not the easiest of tasks but so the uh, boy can open a bottle he just can't pour the liquid that's inside of it all right hey thanks well, it's kind of a nice color kind of pulled a lot must have pulled a lot from that cherry and date all right definitely got that dark fruit color mm-hmm brownish red a little uh a little worried I, th- I think it's gonna be a tart bomb but we'll find out i'm gonna put this up to the mic and see if this picks up <laughs> I'm not getting anything through my side. I mean, I this beer is just crackling. Like, the amount of bubbles just sitting on top of this is 
you put it up to your nose and it stings like a sprite like in the best (laughs) kind of ways i i love that sprite sting yeah it's great like just like the almost aggressively fresh kind of feel yeah yeah it's like so citrusy it's almost peppery yeah yeah yeah. i don't know it's weird yeah like sharp yeah um refreshing (laughs) crisp uh this episode is brought to you by sprite um aggressively crispy taste the rainbow that's a different brand <laughs> whatever we're now sponsored by sprite and skittles cool wouldn't that be cool on honestly a beer podcast? i'd be i'd be big into it um when i was younger like when monster energy first came out or not not when they first came out but when they came out with the uh the bfc do you remember that one i do yeah and we can't say what that stands for because like, this is a children's <laughs> podcast <laughs> shit i didn't realize that um, we're talking Pixar, d- d- dang it! Hey, darn it! Wow. We're talking Pixar, darn it! Eric is with his cowboy sympathy, um, but with when Monster released those resealable cans, you remember that? I do. Um, so somebody showed me a, a little pro strat with those. You pour a couple Skittles into it, and it it dissolves off that candy coating on the outside, which is you know. Looking back on it, it's a little worrisome, but at the time I was like, oh, that's cool. And it does kind of endow the monster with that fruit flavor. Oh. So you can get like a little fruity monster energy drink. Cool. Yeah. Pre, but, pre-monster flavors. Yeah. Um, but I mean, now thinking about it, like, oh yeah, it was literally dissolving sugar on contact, which, oof. Send a send a monster BFC to the Suds Bud Studio at an address that we're not gonna give, yep. and uh, I don't even know if that's still a thing anymore. I, BFC, and I we'll don't drop think candy so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that is a uh, health code violation to have one of those. Yeah, 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 they're they're probably banned in most countries. I believe that. But anyway, um, yeah. So Toy Story Four, you know the reason the reason we're here today. Um, God, I I don't know it. It is weird. The just again watching these all in such quick succession, how much that animation style changed. Yeah, like it, you you definitely don't notice it over time, but man, everything is so much less creepy. Dude, I feel the same way. Like I was uh, telling producer of the show Salsa Dave yesterday um that it's like when you watch them in succession it's kind of like a natural improvement that happens and just an overall production quality um but if you go back after like watching toy story 3 and just watch the very opening scene of toy story 1 the animation is like it's jarringly different it's just much more like unpolished and i think just um the lighting is probably mm-hmm. the biggest thing that's that's like improved is just like the way that these um objects cast light and the way that light glares off them and their shadows like um it, it just feels less flat than like the first movie yeah well and and um just textures are a big part of it too and textures yep. are really hard to render because you it just takes a lot of processing power um flat like I think with Toy Story 1, like it really helped that everything was just plastic. Mm-hmm. And so plastic is a pretty uniform texture. Um, so I don't think they 
they meant or they didn't need to do as much with that um but again actually to eric's point lighting you have a lot in these newer ones you have a lot more soft lighting Mm -hmm. um, which is a much more natural it's kind of like taking a picture with flash on um no one looks good when a picture has flash like unless it's the middle of the day like the flash function on a camera is just it's it's a great way to ruin a picture. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd rather not be able to see anything than having a whole bunch of people flashed in the face with, like, a flashlight. Sure. It's it's bad. Um, But, yeah, that it is a pretty stark contrast. Just, it's yeah, going back, I did uh, rewatch a little bit of one um, after four here. It's weird, right? Yep. Um, and, yeah, it kind of makes you uncomfortable. Uh, just like improvements in quality you don't it kind of goes unnoticed you're just like oh yeah yeah, this is great but degradation is way worse yeah um, totally but anyway actually so that uh this one opens up with um a it opens up a flashback what nine years yeah so it's I guess one more thing just to preface before we dive into the plot, but Toy Stories 1 through 3, basically the time period that those movies came out in real life in the theaters more or less mirrors the time period for the toys and the humans within the Toy Story saga, if that makes sense. So like they... Basically, Andy, or time was passing with us. Yes. So as we grew up with those films, the characters grew up as well. Sure. Um, Until Toy Story 4. So Toy Story 3 released almost nine years before Toy Story 4, maybe even a full nine years. Um, But the events of Toy Story 4 basically take place handful of days or weeks after the events of toy story three so even though there's an eight year gap between the release of the films this movie basically picks up right where toy story three lefts off and so that is important when toy story four the movie we're talking about opens with like you mentioned a flashback nine years earlier yeah it's not implying nine years earlier like from 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 2019 it's implying nine years before toy story three so this is andy's like 10 at this point it's not like when he's going to college when the movie opens andy's still a kid this is basically think of toy story three and four basically those movies are joined at the hip as far as the time period so which just wanted to get that out of the way it is kind of a weird thing with that because like yeah you know that every movie is like us growing up with andy and then four happens and it's like well i mean if if four did what two and three did or like all the other ones did where we were growing up right along there bonnie would be i don't know probably like 15 or 16 so she would essentially be doing it would basically be toy story three all over again yeah you know so yeah it wouldn't be as fun um, but anyway, this one opens up with a scene, um, where the toys are working together to save RC, actually. Yep. Um, trying to save him. Andy was playing out and then apparently it started to rain 
and he left one of his toys outside because kids are irresponsible. Um, I stand by that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they all work together to get the RC out of the rain. And as we discussed in a couple episodes ago, um, this is actually the first one where the opening scene wasn't a standalone. Yeah, it's not like know? a fictional thing either. It's not like... The other three films open with, like, fiction within fiction. It opens with um, an event happening within the imagination of the toys. Yep. Where this is, like, this is a heavy scene, man. I mean, first of all, it's raining like crazy. Like, it's a it's a crazy human thunderstorm, and it's toys trying to navigate that. And the way it's animated is so cool. But also just, like, man, these toys are watching from a window as one of their fellow toys is about to get washed down into a storm drain. Exactly. Like, the, the, like RC's about to get it. it Yeah, he's about it'd, to get offed by Mother Nature. Well, no, I mean, like, the movie It, where, like, uh, you know, I've everything floats down here. Never seen it. Including RC cars. You've never seen It? Never seen it. All right, welcome to Sudspuds, the show where we talk uh, weird horror movies and a beer. <laughs> I'm not great at taglines. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, after that... Uh... Yeah, so they end up saving um, RC, and then immediately um, car pulls into the driveway, and it's a guy who shows up to the house to pick up Bo Peep, who is a character in the first one, briefly in the second one, and then they mention how she was gone in the third one, so that's kind of how we know where this timeline took place yep basically that opening scene what we're seeing is happening right after toy story 2 yeah um so bo peep uh basically gets sold to another family um woody jumps down to try to save her and bo kind of has already accepted that it's time for her to move on um go to another family um pretty stoic about it mm -hmm. seems like very you know this is the way Yep, she kind of I don't know, and it's one of those like, I've 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 aired my grievances with Woody through these last couple episodes, and I've got more grievances to air, um, <laughs> but uh, in this one, Bo kind of already seemed over it. She didn't seem to have like the kind of loyalty that Woody tries to show, um, which I don't blame her. I don't know, like. If a toy's whole existence is just to get played with, I mean, Bo Peep is literally a lamp. Yeah. Like, and that was a thing that was never really covered. Like, she's an accessory to a lamp, mm -hmm. which was kind of weird. Um, yeah. She's a nightlight, for more or less. But anyway, she gets packed up, tries to convince Woody to come with her, and Woody almost does it, and then Andy runs out into the rain because he can't find, couldn't find Woody in his room. Um, Woody realizes Andy still needs him, and that's kind of the end of the scene. He doesn't get into the box. Um, then we get uh, a remastered version of Randy Newman's You've Got a Friend in Me. And it's delightful, as you'd expect. Yeah, weird, weird. Um, <laughs> and then we kind of get into uh, Woody's current day problems, because everything's about Woody all the time. And they are... Uh, playing in Bonnie's room, and Bonnie, Woody's essentially getting less playtime again. 
uh, similar to the first movie where Buzz comes along and Woody's kind of become like a secondary character. Yeah. Um, they're playing through and all of a sudden Bonnie, uh, is, or Bonnie finds out she has to go to her first day of kindergarten. Mm-hmm. First, first grade. Kindergarten. 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 And Woody... Uh, becomes very passionate about going with her, um, make sure she's transitioning okay into kindergarten. And he ends up sneaking into her backpack. All the toys tell her to tell him to leave it alone. He doesn't listen, go, sneaks into the backpack. And we end up at preschool or kindergarten where he kind of helps Bonnie navigate, ends up pulling a bunch of stuff out of the garbage can and... Bonnie, during arts and crafts time, makes probably, I would say, the main character of the story. Would you say main character? Kind of. Uh, yeah, we can talk about that. I, sure. I don't know. I've got thoughts about Forky. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so Bonnie ends up making Forky, a toy made out of a spork, some uh, pipe cleaners, and a popsicle stick. And... Uh, Forky gains sentience. Does this make Bonnie a god? I'm not sure. We'll find out later in the episode. But I think so. Um, And then it kind of just carries on. Forky is struggling with his new existence because he came from a trash can, so he feels more comfortable in a trash can. Trash! Trash! It's actually a a great bit. I uh, I love that, that whole... There's like a whole montage of Forky trying to run away and get into a trash can yeah the best one i think is where bonnie's cuddling forky in bed and woody's laying down below the bed in the trash can and forky just keeps on just diving headfirst just pencil diving like (laughs) down into the trash can as bonnie's asleep and woody just keeps throwing him back up onto the bed and just keeps going on and i just that to me was like the best i don't it's sad, dude, like, but it's just, like, a weird, like, backwards existence that this creature has. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I, I want to get more into Forky later, but we'll, we'll continue on here. Um, so they end up on a road trip in an RV, and Forky decides he wants to escape, jumps out the back window of the moving vehicle, and Woody goes after him, um... And that's kind of where the story really picks up. Yep. Um, that's where the adventure starts. They finally make their way back to town. Woody kind of gets through to Forky. Like, hey, like, explains it in a way he understands that For- he is a- Forky is important to Bonnie. Um, so then all of a sudden he wants to get back to Bonnie, doesn't want to jump in trash cans anymore. Quite the breakthrough, I yeah. think. You know, he's uh, been alive for two days. One and a half days, and, you know, he already had a big breakthrough. Yeah, when he basically explains, like, bon- you are to Bonnie what what trash is to you. And Forky's like, oh, Bonnie's trash. Like, <laughs> just makes sense. It clicks, you know? Exactly. Whatever we get, however we get there, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and then they almost make it back to the RV. And then, uh, well, Woody's got his own plans. He sees Bo Peep's lamp in the window shot window of an antique store, and they get into the antique store where they kind of meet uh, 
meet a lot of weird toys. Um, yes. And they meet Gabby, who is kind of, I don't know, she's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they go through, um, and Gabby seems very interested in Woody's talk box or his voice box. They find out Gabby has a defective voice box, and she wants Woody's voice box as a replacement. Um, Woody ends up escaping, and Forky gets stuck in the store. Um, a little, a little more adventure happens. Woody ends up in a park. And uh, he ends up reuniting with Bo Peep. Yes, a little you know, a little foreshadowing from that first one, which, like I said, first one of these to do foreshadowing, which was kind of fun. And Bo Peep has now totally been reinvented. Yeah, she's now no longer like this passive, quiet character, and is now like a, like a, a badass, like yeah. very independent, just driving around in this sweet like dune buggy disguised as a skunk and uh yeah driving around with her sheep and uh a little poly pocket police officer toy Mm -hmm. which um i don't know if you got the reference but uh that toy worked for minneapolis yes yeah which is kind of a fun little bit because it's little exactly it's little hey got him yes um yeah, the little toy cop worked for Minneapolis Pet Search and Rescue. So, yeah, that uh, movie came out in 2019, so we apologize. That toy has now been canceled and been labeled a racist. <laughs> okay, getting hot out here. Yeah, fuck 12, even if they're toys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Welcome to Pines and Pixar's. The show where we talk about our distaste of cops. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so yeah, Woody meets back up with Bo Peep, uh, kind of go on an adventure, and Woody kind of struggles with the idea that Bo is happy being a lost toy, which is kind of weird. Um, like he, Woody always kind of defined himself as through the kid or whatever kid he was with. Yeah. That was his identity. Bo kind of is beyond that. Um. Anyway, they decide they need to break back into the antique store to rescue Forky. Uh, It's kind of revealed that Woody um, is... Because Woody's not getting played with as much, he's basing his whole value on Forky because he's the new important toy. Yes. Um, Which is kind of a revelation for him that he doesn't... Yeah, he didn't fully grasp why he was doing what he's doing, but that's why. Um, because if he wasn't getting played with, he should help the toy that is. Maybe one of the most selfless acts we've seen of Woody in the movies. I would argue the only selfless act, but (laughs) again, I, I digress. Um, not a, not a Woody fan, not a Woody fan. And Um, this kind of brings us to our carnival troupe. Yeah. Um, so Woody, uh. Well, no, not not quite. Oh, well, yeah, they break back in. Uh, they realize they can't really save Forky. Woody tries to go back in, ends up giving up his voice box in exchange for Forky. Yes. Um, gets Forky back. Some uh, heavier stuff happens. Um, Gabby, who gets the replacement voice box, 
basically gets rejected by her dream child, mm-hmm. the child she's wanted to be with for a long time. The whole reason she presumably wanted the voice box to get the the child's attention from the shelf. You exactly. Know? Um, and so they end up getting or convincing Gabby to come with them. They escape from the antique shop and they're trying to get back to this RV. Um, we get um, some interesting parts, which we'll talk about later from the toys interacting with humans, which you don't really see in any of the other movies, but they end up getting back to the RV and Woody kind of through the help of Bo Peep and Buzz kind of decides that he should go out and do things for himself versus again, defining himself as, or his personality or his character through the kid that he's with. And that's kind of where the movie wraps up. Um, a lot of other fun scenes, a lot of fun characters we kind of glossed over. But, you know, there's a lot to unpack with this one. Yeah, and I know sometimes I think we get kind of heavy into that, those details within the um, episode breakdown, but or not the episode breakdown, within the, the plot summary of the film. But uh, I feel like for this episode being the final Toy Story, we just kind of felt that maybe we'd come back around at the end and kind of do more deep dives in on the, the new appearing characters, um you know our thoughts about our favorite scenes in the film and things of that nature but because uh, there's a lot of really good scenes in this film yeah and uh, I, i'd say like more than any other toy story we're introduced to like more main characters you know yeah like the other films have done a good job of introducing kind of like bit parts or like a new antagonist but like toy story 3 i mean it was like you had Lotso. Yep. You had Ken. And, you know, you had Bonnie's toys that were kind of just introduced in, like, that end of that second act. Yeah, but, like, but they this, were... Yeah. This movie, like, right from the get-go, like, they're throwing new people at you, you know? I mean, even, like... I mean, you talk about how the, the uh, toys kind of mess with the humans in this one more than any other film. We also see things from the humans' perspective more than any other toy story like we get to know bonnie's parents yep we get to know bonnie more um so that was kind of a unique thing the the antique store family like we get to know that whole family it's uh it's it's different um this movie definitely uh plays on the the humans world more than any other toy story i think yeah um there's a lot more interaction um i don't know like it uh it was kind of a departure, but like it was fun. I mean, when you get to the fourth of any kind of movie, you're either making the exact same movie you've already made or you got to go somewhere else with it. And I think they really wanted to go somewhere else. I'd be surprised if they made a fifth one. Like, I don't I don't know what else they've got. Yeah, I think that'll be a good question that we can kind of ask and then maybe... Maybe by the time we got all of our Pixar movies done, we'll have a fifth Toy Story on the horizon. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, at this rate, it seems like they're like announcing a movie like every eight months. Yeah. They're doing a lot of a lot of new ones, though. Not so much like um, sequels. That's true. I mean, we did have The Incredibles, too. Sure. Which was cool. But yeah, you're right. Other than that, it's been like Coco soul onward um, onward 
Brave. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, not not a lot of sequels coming out, but uh which is actually kind of refreshing considering a lot of movies we get right now are just sequels. Yeah. Or a uh or a new version of a movie that already exists. For sure. But But uh yeah, um we're going to take a quick little break and uh we will be back with some fun facts. Hey, Nate's Eric, favorite part of the show. Eric's fun fact corner where I just get to react to fun facts I've never heard. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> it's it's your easy work. Exactly. We all get to learn we get to learn together. All right, we'll be right back with Nate's light work. <laughs> we are going to die. I'm out of here. What's up everybody? Thanks for sticking with us. We're back as promised with some Toy Story 4 fun facts. Fun facts. So here we go. Fun fact number one. Did you know that there was a dispute with PETA over Bo Peep's crook? So that's uh, Bo Peep's little hooked shepherd's cane. Uh, PETA felt it was outdated and a cruel object. And uh, yeah, basically Pixar was already in production. Uh, Movie was going to be out in a couple months. And rumor is they never responded. They were like, ain't a whole lot we can do. It's a big part of her character. She uses it in a number of scenes that are already animated. They kind of just... I don't... You know. I don't even think she uses it on the sheep in the movie. No, I can't think no, of any like, Honestly, I don't even know Like in the first movies whether she did or not. I'm sure she probably did. I remember her using it on Woody to like, yep. pull him in and kiss him. And I remember... Um, yeah, she used it in like this one to like... Uh, glide down a rope. Um, yeah, it's more just a useful tool to her. And also, honestly, not all that surprised that they didn't respond to PETA. Like, I feel like PETA just... Uh, their intentions are good. Um, but I don't know. It, they seem like they got a lot of requests and a lot of pretty extreme stuff that they bring out of nowhere. Yeah. Like I And again, great intentions, poor execution. Yep. I agree. Um, fun fact number two. Um, archival footage, or excuse me, rather archival audio was used for Mr. Potato Head's dialogue in this film because uh, Don Rickles, a uh, famous comedian, actor, TV and film star. I mean, this guy was a, a legend for decades. Um, he passed away in 2017, so... Rest in peace, Don Rickles, dude is a comedy legend, and uh, yeah, Mr. Potato Head, definitely one of the funniest characters in the Toy Story franchise, um, so it was. it's a bummer that he passed, cool that he recorded enough, you know, funny one-liners for Pixar that they were able to kind of still keep his character alive and in spirit, so. Yeah, they, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have a whole lot of lines, but it's not like they can you know, chop and piece everything together. Right. Um, but yeah, he was, I mean, he was great through all these movies. We've talked about how he's just like, he's the, the voice of the angry mob. You know, he's always out there ready to, ready to start a revolution. And I love that. It's true. And I love Mrs. Potato Head too. And those two together, like any time they share time on the screen, it's just, it's amazing. Yep. Um, so yeah, Kind of cool. Um, fun fact number three. In tor- terms of the story's timeline, I mentioned this earlier, it takes place just a few months 
after Toy Story 3. So, um, yeah, just, just kind of interesting. I think it just goes to show that they could have ended it with Toy Story 3. They chose to do a fourth, and this one is, even though it's part of the Toy Story banner, it kind of is, it's more unique, I would say. It's more of a standalone piece than any of the other films. Absolutely. like, And this one was more about, this was more about the toys getting their stuff together, like figuring out their story versus like the humans. Because in every other one, it was mostly about the humans. It was always Andy, Andy, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of get transferred to Bonnie, and it's like, okay, so do they just go through the exact same thing again? What happens? Um, yep. So yeah, this one, you're right. This was more of a standalone than the other three. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so fun fact number four. Uh, the toys are starting to show their age. Now, I know I kind of mentioned earlier, I said the, um, we grew up with the toys. And maybe that wasn't a great way of putting it, but we grew up with the humans in Toy Story. Um, we basically aged at the same rate that Andy aged, more or less, through Toy Story 1 through 3. A little slower for the films. Um... But as far as the actual toys, they kind of stayed the same age. Um, but in Toy Story 4, and this might just be an animation thing, but uh, the toys have started to wear. And it's uh, it's fine details that are really only visible in some of the close-ups. But for example, um, Woody now has some red thread animated where his arm was reattached. Um, and even when they get up close, you can kind of see that his, his cloth is kind of now frayed the fibers are are weathered uh buzz lightyear's a good one he's got a lot of cracks in his plastic some of his stickers are starting to bubble um so yeah it's just little touches like that where they're starting to show that these toys have been used they're they're not the young spry toys (laughs) they once were you know i mean shit toy uh woody's got to be almost 70 yeah like what a weird like I'm think about like if you were the exact same age for 70 years yeah like I'm not and I'd like to preface this I'm not giving Woody any credit um Woody has always been in my opinion possibly the bad guy in all of these movies he looks Um, great for 70 though he does look great for 70 I mean that complexion come on there you go giving Woody props again I will not I take it back uh moving along uh fun fact number five there are over ten thousand unique animated objects in the antique shop in the film um that's crazy yep that's insane and a lot of these objects are actually objects that appeared in other pixar films so we get tin toy he appears as a a toy in the antique shop um the bow from brave is in the shop we've got guitars from coco number of objects but just like the attention to detail to make that many you know replicate that many real world objects create that many original objects i mean ten thousand just for basically background set pieces i was thinking um so there's a scene where they break back into the antique store and like they're running along the rafters and things like that and the rafters are dusty like all of these very attention like yeah these very interesting details were like without that you it wouldn't have necessarily been noticeable um 
but just the fact that they're there makes it that much cooler. Like you see him running along these rafters and dust is kind of flying up into the air. Um, a lot more intense visuals, but like it really, I think in Toy Story, like one and two, not so much in three, but for sure one and two, like the scenes you're seeing could be kind of anything like, it's not hard to like kind of imagine yourself in an area that looks like that. But with this one, it's like you'll never experience anything like this. I, I totally agree. And fun fact, I noticed the same thing. And I, then I read this morning, actually, that uh, the cobwebs in the antique shop, the animators actually, there was a dep- uh, department that was in charge of coding spiders to basically, not that appeared on screen, yep. but basically spiders that spun webs within the animated setting. So so they're, they're getting... and That's AI for you. I mean, I'm probably going to harp on this just hundreds of times, probably every episode. I don't care. The amount of work that goes into something like that, it's just mind-boggling. Like... I mean, these movies make a lot of money, um, but I think that while they make a lot of money, there's so much, so much love that's poured into this. So many details where you're like, I didn't even notice that, but it made the scene better. It's, it fixes some of those gaps in your head where like you don't have to imagine things. Um, it makes it feel more real. It it helps push you into the scene without even thinking about it. And it, yeah, the, I think it would be cool to work on one of these, but I don't know that I'd ever want to do it because that would be kind of stressful. Not even kind of stressful. That'd be a lot, a department just to program. Yeah. To animate spiders or animate a spider web for, maybe three scenes very quick like there should be a spider web here but we want a very realistic looking spider web yeah like somebody probably worked at least a week maybe a few weeks on just working on lighting for how light would hit a spider web yep in a particular scene that's it that's all they did and that was a week's worth of work it's insane, man. Yeah. And, and they can do it. The kind yep. of budget they're working with, Toy Story, Pixar, they can do whatever they want. Yep. And and I love it because, like, it, it kind of is with art in general, like, you, you think, like, wasting money. Like, do we really need that kind of attention to detail? But with this kind of stuff, it's not about needing it. It's about what is going to make the best product here. Yeah. It's about... How do we create something the very best we can? Spare no expense. I kind of wish I could watch Jurassic Park. Because I, I understand uh, Hammond's thing in that. We spared no expense. We're going to make the best experience possible, whether you notice every detail or not. Yeah. That's real. Yep. Uh, so that takes us to our next fun fact. Uh, within the walls of Pixar, this film was known as Peep. So, yeah, there you go. It's We talked about how it's a standalone in the minds of the people that made it. This 
really isn't even a Toy Story movie. This is a uh, romantic comedy that exists <laughs> within Toy Story known as Peep. So I mean, about time Bo Peep got her own thing. Like, yeah, you know, she was in the first one. She was in the second one. Um, she was referenced in the third one, which is, like I said before, how we know where that nine year, um, the, the flashback took place Mm -hmm. because in the third one, they're like, you know, we've lost a lot of toys. They kind of go through and they bow peep. Um, yeah, she always kind of got the, the short end of the crook. We'll call it. Yeah. Yeah. Callback. You get that? It was a callback. Oh, I got it. I got it crook guys pretty decent (laughs) um but yeah so i mean she she's kind of i would say pretty much the main i would say one of the main characters of this her and forky are kind of the most important people like it's about woody yeah it's a the movie's about woody but i would say bo peep and forky are kind of the important um bo peep is woody's kind of desire to be more and forky is kind of his desire to be loyal or to be with a kid Mm, you know like those both those characters together are kind of what he's like like the the angels on the shoulder or like the angel and devil on the shoulder but neither of them are bad inherently but both of them are kind of his inner voice yes and he talks about his inner voice early in the movie where, um, you know, he, he makes this whole thing to Buzz, which then with Buzz becomes this great bit through all the whole movie about listening to your inner voice. Well, mm-hmm. Bo and Forky are both Woody's inner voice in this one, which is kind of fun. Yeah, and as far as, like, the inner voice, it's, like, a literal and metaphorical thing where, like, there's times where Buzz is literally smacking his chest for his... <laughs> you know his battery program lines to play hoping that that's his inner voice and will inspire him to make the right move and i mean it also goes even deeper than that because we talk about um uh gabby gabby trying to steal the inner voice from woody yep. because she was never she never had one you know so it's it's a uh, there's layers to this movie yeah layers um I'm going to make our next two fun facts one fun fact because they kind of tie together nicely. Um, So it was the final film appearance of Carl Rainier, um, who was a uh, famous actor. He was born, I believe, in the early 1920s. uh, Comedian, frequent collaborator with Mel Brooks. I believe they were a a comedy duo together for a number of years. Um, But yeah, this was his final movie. Um, and he actually joined his longtime friend Mel Brooks in this film, um, also along with Carol Burnett and Betty White. Talk about powerhouses. <laughs> um, they all appeared as old toys that Bonnie had outgrown that were now residing in her closet, and they kind of, you know, maybe accepted their existence more than Woody had, and they were kind of, you know... I don't want to say egg and Woody on, but Woody, Woody didn't want to be like them. Not yet. Yep. Not yet. You know, he wasn't done. He, he still felt like he needed to be important. Yeah. Whereas they were kind of just like, they didn't seem too bummed. They were just kind of like, 
I did blissfully we, confused old timers like in and the scene that you're talking about like yeah there's one one quick scene yep um but that scene there's I don't think it even has lines but there's a chair and it's just <laughs> yeah. got eyes and a mouth and it's clearly like interacting and it weirds me out because I'm like, why would anybody want a chair? How do you play with this? Exactly. It is a chair with eyes. You, I, I, it, everything about it is, is wrong and I don't like it. Um, and uh, for any parents listening, please never buy your child a toy, a chair with eyes. Yeah. Cause never like, buy your child a, a chair that has a face where they're supposed to sit. Exactly. Like what, like how, I don't I don't understand the the mechanics of this. Is the faces on the back of the chair? Like why why? I don't want a sentient chair. Yeah. It freaks me out. Like eh, no no no. Yeah, I don't even want to think about that one anymore. That's what I'm saying. But I like I said, I don't think the chair has any lines. It just like is acting surprised with everybody else. Yeah. Um, and that brings us to our final fun fact. There wasn't a ton for this film, but this one I thought was kind of cool. Um, Bo Peep's new look, we mentioned it was dramatically different from her appearance in the first two films where she was very, um, pink and white and they very much played on the whole porcelain thing. She was like, definitely like the most delicate of the toys. Like Mm -hmm. all the other toys were very articulated and she was more kind of slow moving and rigid and delicate i guess you know even just like had a very different looking surface from the rest of them yep and in this she moves as freely as woody um but her inspiration for her character design was drawn from uh characters like the bride from the uh the uh kill bill series um as well as ray from the new star wars uh trilogy um they definitely wanted to um, make her character kind of this uh, gymnast martial artist type. So they studied uh, stick fighting when uh, doing the design of Bo Peep, which I thought was kind of fascinating. So they wanted this character that was kind of this um, agile fighter, you know, resourceful. And some of the uh, early character designs actually had her looking very similar to... Um, uh, uh, Rosie the Riveter. Okay. So, and you can kind of see where that comes through a little bit. Yeah, I think absolutely. at one point she even has her her shirt kind of tied at the waist. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Uh. I do love also in this one that she's, like I said, they dive more into her character. Yeah. Um, and like, there's a scene where she's helping Woody get up. Like he had got knocked over or something. She helps him get up and she, the whole movie up to this point, she's just had like a, a tape band over her arm and it was never explained. And then, um, her arm falls off. Like Woody accidentally rips her arm off and she just then just kind of fucks with Woody. She's just like, Oh no. Like they're both screaming back and forth. She's like, I'm just kidding. That happens all the time. Like she, you know, she's been broken but like it's not a big deal she she's she's resourceful yeah she's fixed herself she knows how to do this yeah um but she, yeah just you know likes to take a gripe or take a 
take a stab at Woody, which is kind of fun. Without a doubt, the most independent of the toys. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and that, like I said, it was uh, a fun kind of departure from what her character's been. Um, and it kind of helps with that foreshadowing at the beginning where, you know, she's just kind of been a secondary character, just kind of living her life by whatever the universe throws at her. And now she's making her own way. Um, yeah, which is just a very cool way for it to go. Um, she's got her whole gang of to- lost toys um, that she kind of rallies together. Yep. Um, actually, a quick thing before I forget about the lost toys. So there's the uh, Action Carl toys, which is fun. Um, Played by Carl Weathers. Was it really? Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Or uh, Combat Carl. Yeah, Combat Carl. Yep. Yep. Um, but there's three of them. And... Like they're they're all like different versions of the exact same toy. Yep. And there's like clearly a leader, and he always high fives one of them, but he never high fives the other one. The one in the back always gets left hanging. Yep. Yeah, the the one in like the snowsuit always just like he's always got his hand up for a high five at the end, and he never gets it. Yep. Um. And he always just walks like each time he's in the scene, he walks away in a little more defeat. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Um, but then at the very end of the credits, every Pixar movie ends with the Pixar logo, like the lamp does its thing again. But in this one, um, one of the characters, uh, what's his name? Uh, Duke Duke Kaboom drives out on his motorcycle. Star of the film. Yep. Does a, a wheelie hop. And then that, um, combat Carl character comes back out. Raises his hand for a high five, and Duke gives him a high five right at the end, like a final wrap up. Like every every character that had any sort of gripe or bad moment in the movie gets yeah you know, like a good moment to finish on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you say we just quickly go through all the new characters in this oh film? My God. Uh, we talked about uh some of the old comedic legends that appeared uh in the film. Um, we have Key and Peele. <laughs> appearing as two uh just may i just say crazy um uh carnival <laughs> uh bunnies that, uh, one's uh, a bunny one's a duckling okay my yeah. bad my bad bunny and a duckling and uh attached at the hand like the whole time which i love yes and i also love that keegan michael key is the shorter of the two <laughs> that somehow also makes me giggle um yeah, so that uh, those two are fantastic. They steal just about every scene they're in. Um, the, the scene where they're trying to figure out how to get the key. Yes. And they are like, not afraid of humans. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it kind of plays into that thing we were talking about where like this movie, there's definitely a lot more toy interaction with the humans. Um, the toys seem to give less of a shit. Uh, like Bo Peep driving around in her skunk car, like driving right through the middle of a carnival. You know, because humans are afraid of skunks. They'll never see it. doesn't matter. Um, the other ones, uh, Buzz, like, giving off a line to get the humans to do something that he wants to do. Or even at the end of the movie, all the toys working together to basically total an RV yeah. while the humans are driving it to get them back to a point they want them to be at. Try to send the dad of their owner to jail. <laughs> Which they mentioned. Yep, several times. 
um, which is a great bit. Um, who else do we have for new characters? We had Duke Kaboom. Duke Kaboom. Voiced by, uh, voiced by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> uh, Nate, Nate, this is, a this is, this is Keanu Reeves getting the phone call from Pixar to be in Toy Story 4. All right. All right. Hello? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Duke Kaboom? Oh. Whoa. That's a that's a pretty cool name. I'm in. <sighs> of all the bits that never needed to be done, um, I would put that right up there. Um, actually, maybe for our ranking system at the end of this episode, we can do bits that never needed to be done. Oof. Scrub through every episode and find the worst bits. <laughs> that would actually be great do like a fun compilation episode of all the bits that we just hated yeah i'll let you do that yeah uh, but then it's all gonna be your bits oh thanks yeah <laughs> every one of my bits i stand by comedic gold i mean if you chop up a clip show and it's all just me talking i won't be mad so Classic. That's, that's 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 on you that's why you're the real woody of this group because <laughs> everything's about you all the time <sighs> I mean, do do we have any other new characters? Um, I mean, uh, there's a lot of well, there's Gabby. Um, Gotcha. Actually, uh, fun ones that the the ventriloquist dummies. Yeah, like Gabby's henchmen. Um, what's fun about those ones is that if you remember, like in the first episode of this, we were talking about what Woody's character was supposed to look like originally. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be a ventriloquist dummy. And in this movie, they talk about how creepy those dummies are all the time. They reference it constantly. Yep. And, like, it's just weird to think about that that's what Woody's original character would have been. And they're huge. Yep. Like, they're they're at least twice the size of any other toy in there. And, yeah, it's just... It was just fun, like, knowing that fact now... It's like, God, yeah, those this movie never would have made it past the first one. That would have been terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, they were terri- they were really creepy. And I mean the animation's so good that they made them look like such real ventriloquist dolls. Um and also like that very first scene we see them in, it it's got a very mafioso feel to it mm-hmm. where Woody's sitting in this baby carriage. And, you know, he tries to get out. He starts, you know, he gets a little shifty. And all of a sudden, more of these ventriloquist dolls in tuxedos, like, swarm the car. And there's, like, an old record playing. And it's, (laughs) like, it's like a movie where, like, he got in the wrong car. And he's having a real quiet conversation. And there's some Sinatra playing in the background. And they're, they're driving to the waterfront. And he's about to get whacked. Like, yep. And it plays, dude, but I guess my, you know what, I'm going to save this because this isn't so much a character thing as it is just like an overall feeling about something that was missed in this film. Uh, I'll save it for the end, uh, final thoughts, but if we're good on characters, what do you say we move forward to the music? Because there's not a lot about that. Yeah, sure. Um, So for the music, uh, you know, 
If Randy Newman's going to do the first three, it's only fitting they bring him back for the fourth. <laughs> I think it's just been established that he will be doing the scores for Toy Story until he no longer can. Exactly. The Toy Story saga ends when Randy Newman ends. There is no in-between. He's got a lifetime contract. Yep. Um, so yeah, I he... imagine he's got like a vault of music just in case. Oh, he's dude. like, <laughs> Randy Newman from Beyond the Grave. It's only Toy Story movies. Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy because it's like, he's maybe only written like six original songs for all the Toy Story movies, but like, he's put out, like, he he's composed the scores mm-hmm. for each one. So that's like 80 tracks alone. It that That's another thing, uh, similar to the animators thing that uh, I bring up, is that composing music for these like you've got to watch the movie and you're thinking about what sounds should be there like when you watch a movie you don't that's another thing you don't even necessarily think about when you're watching it but you know like the, the music sets that tone and these people have to watch it without anything mm-hmm. and make that soundscape um horror movies is a little more of a interesting one um, where they just kind of do creepy sounds. There's actually, what's the instrument called? Um, it's got a really dumb name, but I love it. Um, I think it's just called like the horror machine or something. But like, it's basically a instrument that somebody built with a whole bunch of like the creepiest instruments or the creepiest sounds that they can get. Like there's a piece of sheet metal that kind of creaks and shudders. And yep. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it's called the horror machine um very cool yeah it's pretty goofy but yeah it uh again a a lot more work than people give it credit for Mm -hmm. um but it's just not one of those things you think about like movies have done such a good job with this yeah that but i mean if you watch it i mean think about like if you were to start a movie and you were to just put it on silent except for speaking parts or like a part where there's no speaking and you just mute it it's jarring. Yep. You're like, what is happening? Actually, and there's some um, horror movies or thriller movies where they use that, mm-hmm. where they just, there's no sound. Yeah. You can hear what the characters are doing, like rustling or running around, but there's nothing more than that. And it really makes it weird. Yeah, when used right, I mean, silence in a film can be just as powerful as using licensed music or a really powerful original score. I, I've i watched uh, The Sound of Metal a couple times now, and that movie, you gotta check that out. It's about, you know, uh, a metal drummer who's coming to grips with being hearing impaired. Mm. And uh, that movie really leans into its lack of sound, and it's it's powerful. It's, but it's weird. It's jarring. Um, so, yeah. Um, we got a long ways away from Randy Newman. But uh, <laughs> bringing it back, he, he did the whole score for this film, and he also wrote two new original songs. Um, I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away, which is fitting for Sporky. Yep. Or Forky. That, yep, that was the whole, uh, the whole montage of literally Forky trying to throw himself back into the trash. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, he also did the, the, the remastered version of, uh, 
You've Got a Friend in Me, or the re-recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other original song that he wrote was the Ballad of the Lonesome Cowboy, which was actually performed by Chris Stapleton, which is a country singer who I think was blowing up at the time. I think he did that song, Tennessee Whiskey, that came around came out probably around the same time like 2016 2017 i don't think he wrote that song but 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 his rendition of that like blew up like around that same time i think yeah that's like the um it's i'm not even gonna get into that but um yeah when when the cover becomes more popular than the original yes yep yeah but yeah that's about all for the music for this one there wasn't a ton um Randy Newman, back at it again, stealing the show. Oh, well, then I guess I can get into it. Um, quick fun fact for everybody. Uh, Bob Dylan actually wrote the original parts for Wagon Wheel, uh, the song made popular by Old Crow Medicine Show, which then made more popular by Darius Rucker. Really? Yep. That was a Bob Dylan a song. Bob Dylan song. Yep. Did uh, he ever record it? Uh, I think he recorded parts of it. Um, it was never finished, which I think is why Old Crow Medicine Show gets most of the credit for it. Whoa, I rock me mama <laughs> like a wagon wheel. Hey, I found my number two bit that never needed to be done. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, quick thing, last bit on Bob Dylan. Um, there's a great album out called The New Basement, or by a band called The New Basement Tapes. Um, the, it's led by the lead singer of Mumford and Sons, but they found a book of Bob Dylan lyrics in the basement of a recording studio. Of course they did. Yep. And they figured out it was Bob Dylan's. They reached out to him. They're like, Hey, like these aren't songs or like you never recorded these. You mind if we do them? And Bob Dylan was like, I don't remember writing those, so go for it. And it's actually it's a really good album. Cool, um, that's awesome. I should check that real out. Real cool, real cool tunes on it. Is this recent? Uh, it was probably six years ago. Okay. Yeah, um, but they did a yeah really good job on it. That's awesome, friggin' Bob Dylan. Well, um. That brings it to a close with the music facts. What do you say we kind of do our final thoughts on the, I guess, any any issues you have with the film? Um, I mean, my I've already aired my grievances uh, throughout this episode with Woody. Um, he's, again, he was the problem in the whole thing. And the whole, he ended up making the whole movie about him. You know, there's a lot of other characters I would have liked to see, but instead we get Woody. Um, but that's about it. You know my hatred for cowboys. Yeah. Um, I guess my only gripes are like, I think Sporky's character was kind of weird, or I keep saying Sporky because that's what he is, but yep. a kid named him, so he's Forky. Um, I don't know, man. Like. Y- he just, he seemed like, I just spilt a beer everywhere. Um, the, it seemed like the movie wanted me to take this character serious or like treat him as an equal to the rest of the toys, but he was clearly presented as being like dumb or like having 
not having the the same you know capacity to make decisions or think for himself or be independent like the rest of the toys were um yeah he was more or less just presented as a as a dummy and yep i didn't think that did any favors for his character especially with him um supposed to being the care like supposed to be the character that we're rooting for or you know hoping is going to be okay trying to sympathize with and he's like almost void of any personality other than wanting to be in the trash and is kind of dumb you know i just i didn't think that did him any favors yeah um and i mean it with his thing it was weird because you know he existed for all of three days by the end of the movie um like he made a comment he's like i've known woody my whole life two days like yeah he existed for three days um but the the fact that the the kids or the kids in this movie have the power to bring sentience to anything that they choose as long as they make it into a toy, which was kind of a weird thing. And it the, was, and it, it was kind of fun that like the toys just accepted it immediately. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yep, yep. Um, but I don't know. It, uh, yeah, he. He was a weird character. Um, And it did, again, like halfway through the movie. Basically, once Woody lost him in the antique shop, which I think was kind of like a a mode or like a... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a... It was essentially Woody losing the old part of himself for a minute. Sure. Um, lost that in an antique shop. Mm-hmm. Like Sporky has no business being there, but he lost that new or that part of him that defines himself through the kid in an antique shop. Kind of experiences what life is like outside of that. But yeah, it. Uh, I don't know. But it. I mean, he wasn't really in that many scenes after that. Like no. after Woody got out, like. He was the reason why he needed to come back, but that's that's pretty much it. He's not in the third act much at all. No. And then you know he does kind of get his moment at the end when we find out there's you know if they do choose to make a Toy Story five, there's probably gonna be a Miss Forky. So there, yes, yeah, I forgot about that. So. Bonnie brings yet another creature into the world. Yes, grasping yes. at meaning. Yeah, it's it's a weird. Weird concept that, uh, that the kids can just take these inanimate objects and, and give them life. But I don't know how I feel about it, but it's cool. It's yep. cool. It works well, actually, I mean, it was kind of weird, too, because Forky explained why he liked to go to the trash. Because that's where he belonged. Like, that's what he was. And it's warm. Yeah. And cozy. And it's warm and cozy. So it kind of then makes you think, well, so all of the garbage also has sentience. Um, but they just don't have any way to communicate. Yeah. Like, he knew he was trash before. True. Oh, man. That's <laughs> opens up so many opportunities. Yes. Possibilities for Toy Story 5. Um, yeah, and I guess my only other issue I had was I just kind of felt that this movie was, for the most part, just kind of void of conflict. 
you know, it seemed like there were these little micro goals that came up throughout the course of the film, but even, like, the antique shop, like, that first scene with the ventriloquist, like, they had me. I'm like, where is this going? And then within, like, the last 20 minutes of the film, uh, we find out Gabby Gabby, like, we're we're sympathizing with her, and, mm-hmm. you know, the ventriloquist guys really weren't that bad, and it's just like, I don't know, it's not like a lotso thing where this villain... This person we think is good at first becomes a villain and then, you know, is given a couple second chances and chooses to stay evil and then at the end gets their comeuppance. There wasn't really that. There was really no... I'd say it's pretty... For me, it's safe to say that I think this is the only Toy Story movie where there isn't really an antagonist throughout the whole thing. Yeah, they don't... They don't... Gabby doesn't... I mean, Gabby gets a lot of screen time, but she doesn't ever really become a villain... No, and she holds up to her bargain. I mean, yep. her her motive is kind of messed up. She wants to steal a voice box from another toy, but she basically frames it like, you have what I want. I will give you your, your fork back if you give me your voice box. And I mean, yep. for Woody, it's like, you know, he he's reluctant to remove his voice box at first. He doesn't want to get unstitched, but at the same time, it's not like that's his identity you know what i mean yeah the amount of times that his string has been pulled like post toy story one isn't that much toy story two it gets used but yeah but it's more like a it's more of a bit yeah than it is like a a character point he's not reliant on it yeah whereas like she needed that you know and it Mm -hmm. seemed like he was kind of more or less willing to like oh okay yeah, exactly. Like he he fought it at first, but like it was really didn't take a lot to convince him to do that. And I was just waiting for that double cross where it was like, you know, she's got his voice box and now she's going to keep the the fork and now he's stuck there and that didn't happen. So, I'm yeah. kind of surprised. Yeah, there wasn't like it was more about the toys wrapping up their story than it was any new characters. Well, and even I would say even the original toys got the least amount of screen time of any of the films. Oh, God, yeah. Like, Potato Head, Rex, Jesse. I mean, well, Jesse, Buzz, and Woody, I would say, of the old toys got the most. But, like, Rex, Ham, Slink, like, not a lot there. Nope. Rex got, like, one anxiety attack line where he said, the anxiety is attacking me, which <laughs> yeah. was kind of fun. yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, there wasn't a lot there for the old, for the, for the OGs. No, no. But, uh, that kind of brings us through our episode. I guess all we got left to do is, uh, rate this beer and give our final thoughts, right? Rate the beer, rank the movie, and, uh, I'd like to rank the villain. Sure. You know, cause then I can put all my villains in order. What do you say we do a top off on this beer and give our thoughts on Heck that? Heck yeah. This beer is a delight. If you don't spill it, please don't spill it. He's gonna spill it. He's spilling it. Oh, you did so good, Eric. You did so good, kid. Oh, he spilled it right at the end. I, I dribbled it. it. I no, dribbled well, he it. dribbled it. Okay. <sighs> on on our fantastic carpet, our big bird carpet. Um. Yeah. So th- what are we drinking again? It's uh. I'm gonna get it right this time. Bad Weather Brewing, West 7th Street, St. Paul. Due date, barrel-aged, sour Belgian red, 
with cherries and dates. Cherries and dates. And, and is it a, is number four. The number four of the their series. Because that's important. It is important because that's the only reason we could we had to have something. And also we were there today and it was very nice. Yeah. Oh man. Patio season is upon us. Oh hell yeah. I saw so many cute dogs. There's that one like sitting right across from us, like the big fluffy one. Kind of had the goofy face. Yeah. 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 You know which one I I'm know what you meant. Yeah, yeah. I love that dog. He's great. Yeah. And I love like, like he was on a leash, but like they weren't even holding the leash. They're just like, yeah, this dog's like old and lazy. He's not really going to do anything dumb. Right. Like, he's, he'll be fine. Um, but anyway, I digress. This beer is a delight. Um, really highly carbonated, which. Um, yeah, I've always been a big fan of, I've said that a bunch of times. Um, just a couple of carb boys. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're, you know, carb boys living in a carb world. Um, Damn it. but honestly, surprisingly carbonated, which is really nice. And it actually, I expected this one to be like kind of a tart bomb. Um, whenever I see cherries in anything, like it tends to be on the tart side of things, which I get uh, sweet cherry tends to be medicinal, so you always kind of want to go the other way with it. I was expecting the same thing. Yeah, but this one really struck a nice balance. Um, it uh, The dates kind of mellowed it out right at the end. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just ended up... It was a, it's a Belgian red, is what it's, um... what it's coined as. A barrel-aged sour Belgian red. Okay. Yes. I guess I don't know... I don't know what the barrel is doing for me. Like, I don't get much barrel anything in it. No. Um. But, I'm, you know, as, as Mr. Belgian, um, anything with that Belgian label is a... I'm a big fan of. Um... Yeah, this is just a really well-balanced beer with a high carbonation and nice but not overpowering fruit, yes. which I'm also a big fan of. Well said. It doesn't it doesn't crutch on the fruit. It, it's its own thing with a fun additive. It gets a little boozier as it warms up, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's tasty. Um, what are you What are you thinking on the old five star scale? I think I'm putting this at uh, probably a 4-2. Nice. I'd for sure buy it again. Um, it's not my it's not my favorite Belgian beer I've ever had, uh, but it's definitely up there. It's, like I said, it is very much in a style kind of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough to compare it to a lot of things. And we did finish this whole 750 on air. Um which I didn't think, I don't know, again, with it, with what I thought it was going to be, I didn't think that was going to be the case. It was light and fizzy enough to power through. Yeah. And it was our only one, too. So well, yeah. I mean, we, we could have figured something out, but uh, high carb, big fan. So, yeah, 4-2. Nice. That's a solid rating. It makes me kind of question mine. Um, I think for me, I kind of base it on, like, if I would buy the beer again, it deserves at least a... 3.5 i think yeah, okay. sometimes maybe even a three sure for this beer it just doesn't quite crack the four territory but i think i'm gonna put it comfortably at a 3.9 um 
I love the carbonation. I love the color. I love the notes of dark fruit. I'm not a huge date guy in real life. Sure. But I like things with dates in them, if that makes sense. Like, You ever had candied dates? I have, but I'm not a huge fan of like, it's kind of like plum. I'm not okay. a huge fan of just like biting into a plum. Sure. But I like when things are plum flavored or like have that juice in them. I think it gives a really nice color. It gives like a really nice rich fruit flavor. Um, but yeah, candy dates, like that's a whole different thing. Yeah. But like as far as like fresh, like majul dates, not not my jam. I get that. Um, um, uh, I'm probably going to next next episode, I'm going to bring you a, a little box of Holy Land candy dates. Oh, I would be all oh, over that. Oh, they're so damn good. That'd be phenomenal. I haven't been to Holy Land in a long time. Real tasty. And you get to go to Fair State because it's literally across the street. True. Hell yeah. Maybe that's our road trip for uh, this next Tuesday. Um, but yeah, 3.9 with this beer. Um, I think it just, as far, it, it, it's got a lot in that name. You know, sour, mm. Belgian, red. And it's not the best of any of those styles that I've had. Therefore, I just can't put it up above in the fours. Sure. But I would buy it again. It's tasty. Um, mm-hmm. And I love bad weather. So, yeah. 3.9. Hell yeah. Suds Buds official. Um, yeah. So, we got the beer rating in. Um, It's time for a movie rank. Let's, let's save the movie rank for the very, very oh. last. Do you have a favorite song from this movie? Uh, I really liked uh, "Can't Let Yourself" or "Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away." Yeah, I think that was just that was a fun scene, um, fun little montage. It was like one of those montages you don't really have to think about what's visually happening, so you get to focus on the song. And yeah, it was just a fun, fun Randy Newman song. Like, yeah. I, I agree. There's not a lot to debate or, or dissect here. We really got two to choose from. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to do You Got a Friend in Me again, which I don't. <laughs> I love it, but you only get... I've, I've already got three of those on my roster here, so like... At this point, Randy Newman's just fighting with Randy Newman for first, <laughs> second, and third, and fourth. Now, that would have made a hell of a Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> Randy Newman versus Randy Newman. Fatality. Round one. Fight. <laughs> dumbest shit in the world yeah um yeah I, i'm gonna go with the same one i i don't think ballad of lonesome cowboy was bad but it just wasn't randy newman so it's, it's not gonna be the best yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as fun it wasn't as uh bitingly satirical yeah yes yep. it never will be no um so yeah, we both picked the same one there, which is lame, but whatever. Not a lot to choose from. We're four movies in. People, give us a break. Um, do you have a favorite villain from the Toy Story films that we've watched so far? Um, so Gabby's kind of going in my last place spot. Um, cause I don't. She wasn't really a villain. Um, I mean, she was kind of out for her own. Um, but she didn't. I don't know. She could have a. As compared to the rest of the villains in these movies, she was by far the least dislikable character. Sure. Like, there was nothing about her that just kind of made your skin crawl. Like, 
the worst part about her is that her henchmen were ventriloquist dummies. Like, yeah, she may have had some like weird motivations, but she explained those motivations. And even Woody, who had to give up his voice box, understood. Yeah, so, and she like, was she was kind of like reformed at the end. Yeah, you know, she ended up getting her her kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I wouldn't really call her a villain. Um, but yeah, did, I guess who would your favorite be? Um, or who do you think the best villain was? The best bad guy in the Toy Stories? Best bad guy was Lotso for sure. Um, yeah. Lotso, I mean, he was just good at being a bad guy. He, it was, it was smelling like strawberries. You always trust a person that smells like strawberries. I live by that rule. That's, yeah. That's my code. Um, so it would go Lotso, and then I'd probably go Sid, and then Stinky Pete. Sure. And then Gabby at the end there. Like, I, I got nothing against Gabby's character. I think that was a good character, just not a villain. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm also going to put Lotso in my number one spot. I think that character, all the traits he had and embodied as a toy, I think would translate to a live action film. If you had a real character doing those things and double crossing people in those same ways, it would make for a good villain. Yeah. I just think it was just good classic storytelling, textbook, bad guy stuff. Um, so yeah, Lotso, I think was the most menacing Sid was probably the most fun. Um, Stinky Pete, not really a huge fan of. Ooh, number two, actually. Number two behind Lotso is Big Al from Big Al's Toy Barn. Oh, Big Al. Yeah. Just having, like, a... a, Because, I mean, even Sid is kind of... Sid doesn't really handle Woody and Buzz that much, per se. I mean, there's a couple scenes where he does, but he kind of just throws them aside, and they're more afraid of his toys. Sid doesn't do, like... Without knowing that toys have sentience, Sid doesn't do anything wrong, necessarily. Like, these are... He doesn't see material possessions in the way that other children do. Right. So, like, it doesn't matter. I mean, he the worst thing Sid does in that movie, really, is when he steals his sister's toy and pops the head off of it. Like, yeah. that is the only, like, nefarious thing that he does. Other than that, everything else is like, okay, these are toys. He doesn't know they're alive, and to him, they're just chunks of plastic. Right. Yeah. Totally. Fine. He's, like, outgrown the play stage of the toys and now just kind of, you know, yeah. gets his dopamine kicks from destroying them. Exactly. He likes he likes breaking shit, that, that, and that's why he made a great trash man. Yeah. Gotta break shit. Somebody's gotta do it. It's true. Um, but yeah, I think Big Al takes the number two spot. I think he, um, even though the toy, like, Woody didn't really interact with him a lot, he was still, you got the sense that he was trying to avoid him and get around him, so. Sure. He was just kind of a slimy dude, so. Yeah. Um, honorable mention, Emperor Zerg. <laughs> Probably my favorite villain, but... I don't really want to call him a villain. Yeah. He's almost too inept to be scary. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, So, yeah, that takes us through that, I guess. Man, are we there? I think are, we're there. Is that where we're at? We, we're at the movie rank. All right. I guess I'll go first. Um, 
I'm going to start in order from last to first. So, I just want to first say, I guess, I enjoyed all these films. There's not a bad one in the bunch. I would watch and will watch all of them again at some point, but it's going to be a while. <laughs> I've got a lot of Pixar on my plate, and I've put way too many hours into Toy Story the past few weeks. Um, but all that being said, number four, Toy Story 2. Um, number three... Toy Story 3. Number 2, Toy Story 4. And it's close. Those almost could be interchangeable. And maybe after a few more watches, they will be. Um, Toy Story 3 feels more like a Toy Story movie than Toy Story 4. But Toy Story 4 just looks so much better. It's pretty. There's a lot going on. They introduce some new voice actors that do a phenomenal job. It's funny. It's dark. Bo Peep steals the show. Um, yeah, well, while, while Toy Story 4 may not be as Toy Story-y as Toy Story 3, I think it's a more enjoyable movie. Um, and then, number one spot, you know, I mentioned at the top of the show, it may have a dated look. It may be almost a 30-year-old animated children's film. But Toy Story 1, man, it is still the film that, like, it, 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 it sets, it sets up the world. It sets the ground rules. And I think, like, this franchise, it is, you have to watch it chronologically. Mm-hmm. You know, there's none of these that really lend themselves to being, like, you can just, pop in and watch one of them after not having seen any of them for 10 years and pick it all right back up. It's like, they're meant to be watched in order, especially like if you watch three and then you go to four and then you watch two and then you finish with one, like it's just, it's gonna, it's the animation's not going to be as good. And it's, it's meant to be just do yourself a favor. If you're Jones and to watch some toy story, just start with one power through it. You'll enjoy it. It's, it's a, six hours of your life not badly spent and uh no there <laughs> but yeah do it in order they're they're all fantastic and honestly my ranking is gonna be at the exact i was hoping you were gonna switch four and one so i wouldn't have the same ranking but yeah for sure at the top spots one um it's just and i i, I hate to be a slave to nostalgia but like it, it's there like there's nothing i can do about it um and the music is great yep music's great it's big but not too big there's a lot of characters but not too many characters it's funny but it's dark it's like yeah really the the biggest knock against toy story one is the humans but at the end of the day it's toy story exactly. like it's, it's not, not about, about it's the not people the, <laughs> exactly it's about the toys interactions with the people so it doesn't even matter yeah um but then i mean after that Two, two was fine, um, but compared to like three was a lot more dark. Um, a lot there's a lot more fun to be had with three, but four just kind of took that to the next level. Yeah. Um, yeah. Four was just yeah. Four was a lot. I shouldn't say a lot better than three, but four was definitely better than three. So it's going one, four, three, and two for me. So same ranking. Same thing. There. Yeah. Yep. Same ranking there. Yeah, man. I uh, I really enjoyed it, man. I 
it was fun going back and rewatching these movies. Um, if anyone's listening to this right now and you got any hot takes on Toy Story or you know you got a, a fun take on your rankings, feel free to shoot them our way, Instagram or, or Gmail. Um, yeah, we'd be interested to see what you think. Um, these movies mean a lot to us. I know we kind of mentioned with our pilot episode, our first episode for this season, that you know Toy Story was like a huge influential film in both of our childhoods Mm -hmm. and to now be here you know 20 some years later chatting about it drinking a beer it's uh it's weird but it's a lot of fun so actually um for our well uh i'll put it up on our social media here but uh there's actually a picture of me as a child so mortal Kombat was also a big part of my childhood um and so one year I had dressed up as Buzz for Halloween. And then pretty much from that, after that, that from then on, while I was like dressing up and going trick-or-treating, I dressed as a ninja of every course. single year, right? Because like ninjas are badass. Yeah. Um, but there's a great picture of me, my sister dressed in my old Buzz Lightyear costume. And I was dressed as a ninja, and my mom has this fantastic picture of me immediately after I karate chopped my baby sister in the neck. Like, she's like three, four. I'm like five or six. Yeah. And uh, so she's like shrieking, and I'm just like, I, it's my hands still there. Like, they got the perfect photo. Oh, my God. Like, you God. can clearly see what happened. Um, so I'll, I'll get that picture over to you, and we'll, we'll get that up on the Instagram. It's a great picture. I love it. We'll scan a, it and throw it up there. It's a cherished memory. That's amazing, man. I'm excited to see that. It's good. Well, you know what else I'm excited about is our next episode, because we will be hitting the refresh button. Fear not, we are still talking Pixar, but our next episode will be Bugs Life. <sighs> Super excited for this one. There's so yeah. so many dumb bits in this one. It's just, It's full of bits. It's a good one. <laughs> what do you say we uh, we slate out the next three episodes right here on air before we uh, we we sign off? So yeah. next week will be Bugs Life. Yep. The following week is going to be Monsters Inc. Yep. And then after that, we're going to be doing Monsters U. Yeah, Monsters University. Um, that one I haven't. I think I've only seen that once, but I remember there's a bunch of fun college jokes in that one, which is cool. Yeah. Yep. I'm excited for Monsters U. Yep. But yeah, uh, pretty excited for these next couple. Monsters Inc. is also a you know a near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think that brings us to a close. Uh, it's been a few weeks of good beer and good films and. We're hoping we can continue along on that path. So all that being said, you have a great day. Take it easy. And uh, yeah, please drink responsibly. Please Pixar responsibly. That means you, Jordan. (laughs) 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 I was alone. Awesome as I could be You came along and changed my life Fixed what was broken in me I was a lonesome cowboy 
Not anymore. 